There's a guy named Ray Kurzweil, smart guy. He's been called the Thomas Edison of our age. Forbes magazine called him the ultimate thinking machine. He wrote a book, uh, this futurist and this innovator, inventor. In fact, he created the flatbed scanner, among other things. But he wrote a book called The Singularity is Near, When Humans Transcend Biology. And uh, he has been getting a lot more support over the years for a view uh, that he calls the singularity. It's an idea that we are on the verge of this technological revolution, um, that we human beings are, are going to cross a threshold, one that we will never come back from. And some people look forward to this tipping point with great expectations, others with, with great anxieties. And the tipping point is this idea of the singularity, a point in time where essentially humans and machines merge where we become one and what's brought us to this point has been an exponential growth in fields of robotics and computer science and nanotechnology uh, genetic engineering and so Kurzweil and, and others this growing body of people now theorize that we are sprinting towards this moment in time when machine intelligence and the human brain will become one. Uh, and really, uh, honestly, it's, it's already started. I mean, our smartphones and our, our devices are already essentially brain extenders for us. Uh, notables like Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk uh, talk about this with, with either dire warnings or, or uh, seeing the benefits. It depends on who you talk to. And so imagine today, you know, Imagine a day where you could learn Farsi or you could learn Mandarin or, or you could learn Spanish just by putting a chip in your brain. That's kind of exciting. Uh, imagine a day where, where your brain has exp exponentially more computational power uh, than it has at this moment. Or imagine a day where you have, uh, and it's not hard to imagine really at this point, where you have access to all human knowledge right in your own brain. Um, it's it's, it's, it's kind of heady stuff. Of course, such power... Uh, brings this potential in the hands of humans for either good or evil. Now here's the thing about a singularity. Once it occurs, there's really no going back. And before it happens, although I think we're close enough, it's already sort of happening, but before it happens, it's hard to imagine the world how it will be. I mean, think about going back in, in a time machine, if you could, to the 1800s and trying to explain um, the internet and the information age to someone back in the, in the 1800s. Um, I mean, it would be hard to get them to understand Snapchat, right? I mean, they'd be like, what are you talking about? It'd be hard to get them to, to, to understand how you ordered a Christmas present and you did it on the app called Amazon over the internet and it's going to be delivered by drone to your house on the same day. I mean, this is an age you're talking to people who the fastest mode of communication would be the Pony Express, essentially. Get someone on a horse and however fast they can travel is however fast the news will travel. So it would be hard to explain that to them. Um, and it's interesting, and you may be thinking, this is interesting stuff, not particularly Christmassy stuff, um, but interesting. But you know, while futurists and scientists may theorize about a future technological threshold, this morning we look back on a singularity that was no less dramatic, no less sweeping than the one that these futurists speak of today. Christmas. Roughly 2,000 years ago, a woman named Mary 
gave birth to God's son in a backwater village, Bethlehem, in a remote province, Judea, of the Roman Empire. And at that moment, God himself entered into the world that he created. And today we gather around the Lord's table to celebrate this singularity, the birth of Jesus, and consider not only what it meant one time, one place, but what it means for all times and all places. Before Bethlehem, though, remember this, before Bethlehem, God had been silent. Silent for centuries, four centuries of nothing. No words from the prophets for four centuries leading up to Jesus. No dramatic, awe-inspiring miracles from the Lord among his people, just silence. Israel had all of these expectations. We read about those in the Old Testament. Lots of expectations, lots of hopes and aspirations that, that God would, would come in and do something amazing. They believed that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was yet to come and that He would bring deliverance, that He would make all things right. But those hopes had gone unfulfilled and century after century of silence led some to despair. Instead of deliverance, instead of deliverance, Israel had been pushed around by all of the ancient world neighborhood bullies, Babylonians and Persians, Greeks, and now the worst of all of them, the Romans. They were supposed to be God's people. They, the Israelites, were the ones he had chosen and they had been relegated to the status of a second or third tier vassal nation absorbed into the Roman Empire. It's tough. It's tough when expectations go unfulfilled and time passes. It's tough when God goes silent on you. Israel had longings for God to act, for at a minimum God to, to say something, but four centuries of silence. And then in the midst of the silence, the singularity, a man named Joseph was engaged to be married to this woman named Mary. Joseph, though we find in the early part of the story, had some serious second givings about these nuptials because his fiancée had become pregnant with someone else's child. That would give anyone second thoughts. Here's what the text says in Matthew chapter 1. As he, as Joseph, considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, 
the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's easy to forget what a watershed moment in history this was. I mean, you can hear this story so many times with such repetition that it almost becomes regular. You can get accustomed even to this singularity. The singularity of God speaking after centuries of silence. The singularity of a virgin giving birth to a son. The singularity of God being the father of that human child, the singularity of a savior coming into the world, the singularity of God entering the world personally, becoming incarnate in Jesus. God is with us. That's what the name means. If you're going to help serve the bread, you can get into position. We'll do that in just a couple of minutes. But one gift for us today, this Christmas Eve, is to know this. God has not forgotten us. You can know that this morning. God has not forgotten you. And what a gift that is. Whatever's happening in your world, however you feel at the present moment, you can know God hasn't forgotten you. What a gift if you feel that God has gone quiet on you, He's been silent, or you have not gotten the miracle that you need, that you have been asking for for a long time, the birth of Christ serves on a, as a marker on the calendar each year. Whether it was December 25th or not is really irrelevant. But each year, we remember he entered into the world in Christ, and you may even, if you feel right, like God has abandoned you or forgotten you, the story reminds you, no, God is with us. God is with you. After centuries of silence, in a manger in Bethlehem, God's love and God's mercy entered the world like never before. Let's pray together. Jesus, Emmanuel, we gather around your table this morning to celebrate your arrival in our world. As we break this bread, we recall that you didn't just arrive in some nebulous, ethereal, spiritual sense. You didn't just arrive through a prophetic word or a miraculous sign, you came personally into our world. You put on flesh and blood to be with us. Lord Jesus, we celebrate the singularity that no one saw coming. Speak into the heart this morning. The heart of the woman or the man or the child who feels forgotten today who feels alone and tell them of your love for them and of the future that you plan to spend with them we pray this in the name of Jesus
Amen. Well, Ray Kurzweil was speaking at, uh, recently at South by Southwest, and uh, this is what he had to say about this technological singularity. He said, what's actually happening is machines are powering all of us. He said, they're making us smarter. They, he said, may not be inside our bodies, but by the 2030s, we will connect our neocortex, the part of our brain where we do our thinking, to the cloud. All right, the merger of man and machine sounds less and less like science fiction each day. Now, if that blows you away or whatever, this is nothing, though, compared to the story we remember this morning. The Christmas story involves a merger of a different order. Uh, the angel announced to Joseph there in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus would be God and man... He would be a merger of the divine and the human, that Jesus would be the hybrid. And Mary would be the mother of Jesus, right? And God would be the father of Jesus. Jesus would be both God and man. That had never happened before, hasn't happened since. That's a singularity. And so remarkable is this singularity that a lot of people, let's full disclosure this morning, a lot of people had trouble accepting this and have trouble accepting it to this day. I mean, in the Abrahamic faiths, the Jews and the Muslims both admire and respect Jesus as a prophet, as a great teacher. But the incarnation of God... No. Even in his own lifetime, the reaction to his unique identity was, to put it mildly, extreme. It's the reason he ended up on a Roman cross. I mean, from the beginning, some people were not willing to accept even the possibility of the singularity blasphemy, they said. And whenever we break the bread and drink the wine, we, his followers, remember this merger of God and humanity. And Christmas is a unique celebration of the singularity that Christ's Son would leave heaven, that he would be born into our world of injustice, of sickness, of sin and pain, our world. And Jesus, let's not forget, he wasn't born into the Ritz-Carlton in Jerusalem. He wasn't born into a palace in Rome. His only begotten, God's only begotten, entered the world in a cattle stall in Bethlehem. From the beginning, Jesus chose the way of humility. He chose the way of lowliness. He chose to be a servant among us. And Christmas is a unique celebration of this God who chose to share his love with us in the most personal way by becoming a person. Doesn't get any more personal than that. And so as we gather to worship this God who understands us, who has walked in our shoes, who faced the same temptations and trials that we face, 
we do it with great thanksgiving. And if you're going to help serve the cup, you can do, get into position right now. Because of the singularity, because of this merger of God and man it, that we celebrate in the Christmas story, we worship a God who truly sympathizes with our struggles. A God who gets us. We have this word in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, about the unique identity of Jesus. This merger. And the writer says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, this is amazing, who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin, the upshot of this, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and we may find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it is so difficult to imagine the love and the humility involved in this story of incarnation. It's so difficult to believe it and comprehend it that many over the centuries have simply refused to believe it. And Lord, we pray that people all around the world will come to faith, will come to see the great love that you have for them, a love that sent you into their neighborhood to live among them and suffer with them. The merger, Lord, of the human and the divine. We celebrate that this Christmas. Lord, you were born into our world as one of us. When you were cut, you bled. When nails were driven through your hands and feet at the cross, you bled. And your blood reminds us that we have a high priest who gets us, who cares, who understands what it's like to be one of us. And because you were born into our world, because you know us and love us just as we are, we rejoice that we can approach your throne with confidence and receive the mercies and the grace that we need in our hour of need. We come before your throne of grace with great confidence and great joy in your name, Jesus. Amen. Euangelion. The Bible actually has this, this very unique word to describe this singularity. Euangelion just means good news. Sometimes we translate it as the gospel. Christmas is a season that reminds us that God did not abandon us. That he reached down into our world to save us. That this story that we celebrate this time of year will end with a death, burial, and resurrection which has brought hope to all humanity.
I can't help but think of that news story a few years back. I'm sure you remember it. It was the news story about the Chilean miners. It was on the news for two months, right? The trapped Chilean miners. There had been this mine collapse down in South America, and these 33 miners were trapped thousands of feet underground. For over two months, they were entombed in darkness nearly half a mile underneath the surface of the earth under thousands of tons of rock and dirt. It's a situation that I think anyone would describe as beyond desperate. They survived on scraps, on the lunches, on the snacks that they had brought with them, on the thermoses of coffee and juice and water that they had brought with them, carefully rationed out. And there were questions echoing in that dark chamber below the surface of the earth. Would they be rescued? Was it even technologically, physically possible for them to be rescued? And so we watched this drama unfold, a joint international effort to reach them. And finally, there was a breakthrough moment. A, a small pilot hole had been drilled all the way from the surface down into that chamber. Water and food could then be lowered into the chamber. The hole was bored out wider and wider. Finally, the Chilean miners got one thing they specifically asked for. They got the Bibles they had asked for. And they were able to have time with the Lord as they had requested. Finally, that diameter, as it was widened, was widened to such a point where one by one, the miners, you remember this, could be individually lifted up to the surface, to their families, to safety. And so there they were, one by one, joyous faces emerging out of the darkness. I remember those smiling faces on the news, and I couldn't understand much of what they said when they came up. They had a lot of things to say, but one word echoed from all of their lips. It was gracias. Gracias that they hadn't been forgotten. Gracias that they hadn't been left alone, abandoned in the dark. Gracias that a rescue mission at great cost had been undertaken to lift them to safety. Gracias that God had heard their prayers and answered. Christmas is good news. It is the announcement of our rescue. It reminds us that we have not been forgotten down here. As the centuries passed, God was at work day after day until finally he pierced our darkness on that original Christmas morning. And Sue, so as you as you unwrap gifts the next couple of days, don't lose sight of this one. Don't lose sight of the singularity that is Christmas. God came into the world to rescue me and you. And if you would like to give your life to Christ today, you can do that. You can put him on, wear him in baptism and begin to walk in newness of life, a new creation 
a walk of hope, a walk of determination. That's the walk of the disciple. If you would like to do that or if you just, just need prayers, respond however you need to as together we stand and worship.